Relationships take work, don't they? It is more than finding the right person, more than finding your knight in shining armor or your princess. It takes work. You wouldn't think so by looking at the online dating industry. It's huge. It is a $4 billion industry with about tens of millions of users signing up for these services. They do criminal background check, financial check, and the big one is your uh, personality profile. But there's one above all the rest. I'll give you the URL to this one, scientificmatch.com. They say that they're above the rest. They do all of those things plus some other things. For $2,000 and a little swab of your saliva, they can come up with the perfect match based on your DNA. That's what, and these companies, not this one, but there's others that are leveraging technology. So if you have one of these smartphones and you're part of these services, then you can be at Food Lion in the produce aisle. And if there is a perfect match, because there's GPS and they know your profile, then you will get a notification that your future spouse is over on aisle six. <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up. They seriously do this. There's a lot of money being poured into finding that right person. Now, there are also parts of this industry that are actually going after our marriages, trying to go after those people that are sitting in marriages going, I wonder if I actually found the right person. I'm not going to give you the URLs to to these services. Matter of fact, I had to call Todd, who's my accountability partner, and let my wife Kim know that I'm going to be visiting some sites that are, you're going to see on my report that aren't too whatever. So, but you go to these sites. And they literally give you statistics. One of them said, men have affairs at this high of rate. Women have affairs at this high of rate. Are you unhappy? Are you hopeless? Do you think things are not going to change? Are you thinking you married the wrong person? Let us help you fill that void. We will find you the person to have an affair with. They're out there. And you hear all this, you wonder, wow, will, would I ever find the person that I'm to marry, and if I do, would I actually stay in love? That's what this whole series is all about. Donnie was here two weeks ago kicking off the series, which we're calling Making Love Stick. And hopefully you remembered out of that first time, can it stick? Yes, it can. You could have had the worst uh, experiences, worst role models. It is still possible to fall in love and make love stick. The big idea when you walked out of here two weeks ago was this. It's possible, but you've got to make love a verb, not a noun. It's more than just a feeling. It's a verb. You've got to put love into action. I think Donnie told us to make Jesus our love coach, right? To take our cues from Christ. Today, what I want to do is zoom in a little bit more. What does it mean to make love a verb? And I want to look at that because if falling in love only takes a pulse, a heart rate, we need to know that making love stick takes a plan of action. And it's my hope for you today when you walk out of here that if you're single, you actually walk out with something saying, I know what to look for in that other person. And also, I hope for single and married, that we walk out saying, I know how to be that other person. 
for, I, I know how to be that person to the one that I love. Making love a verb. It takes a plan of action. We're going to look at that today. So ushers, if, if you would come down now with Bibles, if you don't have one, we're going to be looking at scriptures throughout the morning. So if you don't have one, they will give you one. If you just forgot it, you can use it, drop it off in the back on the way out. But if you don't have one, please take that home. It's our gift to you. Now, all of us have this, deep down, we have this desire to be in relationship, to get close, to be intimate. It's there. That is God's fingerprint on our soul. We are made in the image of God. We just took communion. When you look at that cross, we serve a relational God, a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And so that desire that we feel, that longing, is there on purpose. He put it there. And it's so, love as a noun can be really powerful. It's like magnetic. It can, our heart can all of a sudden start to drive us. And we have to be real careful about that. God's word says in Proverbs 28, verse 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. You see, our heart can become distracted. Our heart can look for the wrong things. Our heart can become consumed. And all of a sudden, we start facing some of the consequences of all of these wrong decisions. Our heart can lead us into places that we never wanted to go. The Bible says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. We're called to walk in wisdom. And when you look at the New Testament, you'll see the word wisdom and Christ used synonymously a lot. So the closer we get to Christ, the more wisdom that we are going to experience. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Christ became wisdom for us from God. We get the wisdom as we get closer to God. We start to experience and, that, and get that thirst quenched for intimacy. So our goal of our whole plan should not be to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Our goal of our plan should not be to have a good and a perfect marriage. It should be on the list. But at the top, first thing's got to be first in our plan, and that is making intimacy with Jesus our goal. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. The Perry paraphrase is, Seek intimacy with God, and intimacy with others will be added unto you. What does intimacy with God mean? It, it starts with just, all of us are going to seek at one point. You may be a Christ follower. There are others who are not right yet, but you're here for a reason. You're seeking. It begins by seeking, asking those questions. Who is he? Why do I need him? And at some point, entrusting your life to him. And even as a Christ follower, you need to continually entrust your heart and give your heart over to him. Talk to him. Read his word. We are to make that our goal, to get closer to him. Because only he can teach us what true love is. Only he can allow us to experience that. And then that helps us spot godly love in one another. But what happens is if I put Kim 
at the top of my list, or if she puts me, she's not here, so I feel unfair. So, but if I put her, she puts me, we will fail each other. If you put your spouse at the top of the list, seeking intimacy with them first, you will forever be disappointed. But if you set out to love your spouse the way God loves you, then you will not be disappointed. When you look at godly love, when you look at the love of Christ, what you'll see is a committed love. Commitment. There are two words in the Old Testament that are used a lot to talk about God, to describe who God is. The first one's ersed, which transliterated is C-H-E-S-E-D, ersed, which is a committed love, no matter what, a committed love, a steadfast love, no matter the circumstances. That's the kind of love that's used to describe God. The other one is emit, E-M-E-T, and that means a truthfulness or a faithfulness. You and I would use it this way. That person is a true friend. What we mean by that is that person's got our back. That person cares about us, genuinely cares about who we are and where we're going. And when you create that kind of an environment, you're in that kind of environment where there's trust, where there's safety, where a person is invested in you and cares for you, it creates just an environment for companionship to blossom. But society goes against this. They will say, are you getting your needs met? Because if you're not, there's a problem over here. Not here. There's a problem over here. And so if it's not, you're not being met, then move on. So you find a lot of people not committed. There's zero commitment in relationships. I love what Joshua Harris said in the Journal of Biblical Counseling. He said, deepening intimacy without defining a level of commitment is plainly dangerous. It's like going mountain climbing with a partner who isn't sure that they want the responsibility of holding your rope. Commitment's a big one. We all need that in our relationships, and we need to be that. God has proven that he wants to hold our ropes. He has proven faithful, a committed, steadfast kind of love, and that's required for you and I in our relationships. Donnie said, you know, well, how do you, what does that look like? And he used that passage from John chapter 13, verse 34, that Jesus said, a new command I give you, I want you to love others as I have loved you. Now, Peter and Paul took the same message that Jesus was talking about. He took it to those around them, but they used a word that we don't like in our culture. Same message, different word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's what they said, Peter and Paul. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit means to place oneself under. Now, I don't know how this works because I place myself under Kim. Kim places herself under me. I mean, who, how does that work? You just keep, you go first. No, you go first. That's just God logic. But that's what he calls all of us to do. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, the best way to make love stick is to learn to mutually submit to one another. Now, Jesus, Peter, Paul, they all talked about relationships and roles. 
but they never tip the scale in either direction. You want to be a leader? You want to be first? Then you're to be last. You're to be a servant leader of all. That's what you find in Scripture. You uh, children, obey your parents. Parents, don't embitter your children. Wives, obey your husbands. But, oh, husbands, be a servant leader to your wife like Christ was to the church. He gave himself up even to the point of death, making her holy and blameless and without blemish. They spoke about the roles and the relationships. But again, society goes against us because you and I are defined by our roles. That's what society, you have value depending on your role. That's not what God says. God turns that upside down. He rejects all of that. God says you have value apart from your role. The moment you were born, you had value and you had purpose. It's not about your role. And we are all to submit. We're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 to see what this whole idea of submitting to one another looks like so we can get, you know, kind of the rubber meeting the road so we can walk out of here with some tangible things. Go to Philippians 2, chapter 2. This is a, uh, Philippians is a letter written by Paul while he was in prison to the Christ followers in Philippi. And it really gives us insight into what an abounding love, a submissive love actually looks like. Look at uh, verse 3 of chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That word selfish ambition, it's the same word that's used over in chapter 1, verse 17, when Paul was talking about the people who were opposing him. So it carries with it this idea of competition. So nothing messes up love more than when we're loving so that I'm right. It's my way or the highway. That kind of love absolutely messes love up. Is that the kind of love that you are showing to the other person? You see, competition isn't the way you're going to show love. There are times when you just got to let things go for the sake of the relationship. Now, I'm not saying Allow ungodliness to happen in your marriage for the sake of relationship. That's not what scripture says. There's a time and a place for constructive confrontation. No, but I think you know what I mean. There are times, at least I know, there are times when I just want to say, you know what? I'm right here. And I've always been right. Remember this time and this time and this and this? Or, you know, I always end up doing this. Why don't, you know, she can do the same thing. And all of a sudden it becomes a competition. That kind of love ruins things. Look at the second part of verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, but in humility consider others better than yourself. You see, we're to make the other person feel more important than us. Make them feel important, valued, uh, famous. You, we all know how to do this, right? Because you've been to a birthday party where it wasn't your birthday, Right? You've been to a wedding where you were not the bride or the groom. You've been perhaps to a retirement party, a promotion party, where you're not the one, you weren't the one getting the promotion. So we know how to act in those cases. 
For me, I like to think about, because it says, um, treat them as if they are important. So think about, all of us have come in contact with famous people, right? So I, I sit back and I say, I remember that time. I met Muhammad Ali in the Chicago airport. I was walking by the gate, and there he was. I did a U-turn. I was like looking for all the paper, and I said, went over and said, Muhammad Ali, and, you know, he signed it. He got up, and I'm stepping back to let him go first. You know, this that, ooh, ah, right? And I, I'm thinking of all the questions I can ask him because I'm, like, deferring to him. It's like kind of what's submitting to one another, to defer to the other person. Made me think about the, I love golf, so I was at the PGA event in Greensboro. I'm going to date myself here because, like, Curtis Strange, Brad Faxon, those are the guys I grew up watching. And, and they come across the car path. So you can be walking, and all of a sudden they come across as Freddie Couples. Go. You know, you step back. And, and if I could follow them, I start to ask them all these questions. Why? Because I want, they were important. I wanted to find out more about them, get in their life. That's what we're called to do. What you say or what you don't say, what you do or what you don't do, communicate something to the other person. So the question for all of us is, what are we doing in our relationships and what's it saying to the other person? Is it saying that you are more important than me? Here's what Paul says. You want to you make another person feel important? Here's how you do it. Look at verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Reminds me of a story of a guy who went to a doctor's office. And he went in the examining room with the doctor, and his wife went out into the waiting room. Doctor did all the exam, and the doctor came out of the office and went into the waiting room, and the wife could tell something was wrong. So she went over and she said, what did you find? He said, your husband is suffering from a severe case of anemia. And if, if he does not, if it's left untreated, then he's going to die. She said, of course, well, what, what's the treatment? Because we need to take care of this. And he said, well, with the r- proper rest and care, your husband will live for many more years. But here's what it's going to take. His immune system, really low. It is important that your house be cl- not only clean but sterile. Because he is susceptible to disease. His body is weak. He's going to need f- food at set times of day. And his joints and all of that are going through excruciating pain. So he will need massages at different times of the day. And he, he went out, rattled off a bunch of other things. And then he said, do, do you understand the treatment? Because it's going to extend his life. She said, I do. He said, do you want me to give, go in and tell him? Or do you want to tell him? And she said, I'll I'll do it. And she walked in with her head down and a tear in her eye. And her husband said, is it really that bad? And she looked at him and said, honey, you're going to (laughs) die. You see, we are to look out to the interest of others. But how many times do we show our spouse through our words, through our actions, that I am more important than you are? What we need to do is we need to set out to discover the needs of the other person and start to move toward that. It starts with your time. Our calendars are so busy these days that we don't have time to do the simple things. 
to talk, to go out for a walk together. So if that's you, simply get on your calendar. If you have to schedule the time, schedule it. But be intentional about protecting your time so that you can use it to invest in the other person. And then what you need to do simply in that time, this is the biggest thing. And in so much of the counseling that we all do at the office and marital counseling, the key is, is getting to know that other person, teaching them to communicate and spend time with one another again, or maybe for the first time. Simple exercises like before you leave in the morning, ask yourself, what's going on today? What projects do you have going on? What are you looking forward to? Oh, that sounds real. Man, that person, how are you going to deal with that? Starting to express an interest in not only their career, but perhaps their hobbies and things that are going on. (laughs) Even when they come home, we have to remind folks, hey, ask the questions when they come home. Hey, how was it? Did that project actually make its milestone? How that person, how'd they deal with that criticism or that feedback? Wow. Simply just spending time together, getting to know what that person's day is going to be like. And from there, you move from not only the day, but to the week, to the, to the six months. Like, what would you love to do for vacation? What would be your dream vacation? You had 20, you know, you had one week and this amount of money. What, what would that look like? Oh, I would love to just watch them dream. You know, what, what would uh, your career, do you want to do this for you the rest of your life? See, now inside, you may be like, oh, I, uh, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't take interest into that. Don't follow your feeling. I think we said before, you know, don't feel your way into action. Act your way into feeling. Spend time with one another and start to get to know the other person. A couple resources that are good here. Uh, Five Love Languages by uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. If you've never read that book, it is a good book. I spent years loving my uh, wife with the way I thought I liked to be loved. I'm an acts of service, words of affirmation kind of guy. Totally not my wife. She is a quality time person, and physical touch means a lot. I came from a family where that wasn't even the case. You know, I knew my mom and dad loved me, but... we didn't, physical touch wasn't that. So it did feel weird, but that making the other person feel important. But the five love languages is a great book. Kind of walks you through that. And then Mark already plugged the big night out. That's going to happen this Wednesday. Ten bucks for the couple. You get food, fun, entertainment, music, all that. And it's a great, you can be engaged or married. Come there. You're going to invest in your marriage. Uh, there's child, there's not child care, but if you have to pay for child care and you can't pay for child care, don't let it stop you contact the office. Big night out would be a great resource. Now, as I've gone through all of this, if you're like me, you probably have many questions like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What if I do this and that other person never responds? They may not. Another question, what if I'm right? You actually may be right. Now, remember, I'm not the whole ungodliness thing. I'm not saying let that go on. But you may be right, but you're still called to do this. Well, how about if they don't deserve it? They probably don't. You know, start looking at some of the things you deserve too. We're still called to love this way. We have to make a decision to love like he did. If we're going to make Jesus Christ our love coach, we have to love the way he did. Look at verse 5 in Philippians. It starts talking about this very thing. 
Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, a selfish God would have said, listen, I'm more important than that. I'm God. I'm the creator. They're the creation. There's no way they're more important than me. There's no way I am going to give up my rights and my privileges for those selfish, spoiled children. I'm not going to do that. And you know what? A selfish God would say, I am definitely not making a move toward them until they show me some respect and start to show me that they deserve it. But as Eddie pointed out during communion, we know what Scripture says. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died on that cross for us. Long before when I accepted Christ as a junior in high school, long before I went seeking and said, what is this Jesus thing all about? Why do I? Long before that, he was willing to die on that cross for me. He was willing to put relationships over rights, his rights. He emptied himself. He gave him whole, his whole self. Why? For you, for me. And if we want to be in relationships, if we want our relationships to have life, then there's part of you and I that part of us has got to die. It's that part that says me, 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 me. That part is the part that's got to first go seek intimacy with God. And then out of that do we then move toward one another. You see, people think submission, right, and humility is weakness. Oh, I can't show that. Actually, it's a, it's a sign of strength. It actually shows that you reject selfishness and you have an active concern for others and for their well-being. It, is, it is, shows leadership. It shows strength, those words. For all of us, just, it was, just as it was for Jesus. For him, the way up was down. In order to be exalted on high, he had to lower himself. And to experience life, there had to be a death. And so I prayed this morning for all of us that those deaths happen so that we can love one another and make it stick. We must learn to be mutually submissive. After running to him, run that way. It's just the fruit of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are, for your perfect love, and that uh, love is, it's not like this unobtainable goal. It is actually there, and it starts with us seeing it, seeing your love for us, and embracing you, giving ourselves to you, and then continually giving more and more of ourselves to you. And Lord, we just pray for the eyes to see where we are still, where we have selfish ambition, Lord, we want to give that up so that we can um, bring unity and restoration to our marriages and, and to start off our marriages, if we're engaged, to start them off on the right foot. Well, thank you for that hope that it can be done. And uh, we just run toward you. And we love you. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.